Well, I don't know. What do you mean, what phase am I in? I, I, I guess I'm in the final phase. I don't know. How many phases is a man supposed to have? I, oh, hi. This is Pete Pomisano. And welcome to RLTP's Off-Road. We're in it now. We're in the new format. And we'll be speaking to two people from Buffalo's most significant cultural organizations, as well as two people from Buffalo's most important theatrical companies and a special surprise guest as well so it's really going to be a full show and i hope you'll enjoy it so on this week's podcast we have from the just buffalo literary center robin lee jordan now i don't know if you know what the just buffalo literary center is I knew what it was, but I had no idea how much they do in the community. So it's another very interesting conversation with a, with a group that has, of course, been affected by the COVID-19 quarantine and all goes with it. And uh, Robin gives a very interesting interview about where they're going with their group. Right after that, we'll have Dan Shanahan from Torn Space. Now, Torrent Space is one of the most innovative theater companies in Buffalo. Now, I wanted to get Dan on as quickly as possible because Torrent Space does a lot of summer programming over at Silo City, and I wanted to know what's going on with their plans for their summer programming. Now, following Dan is a very interesting woman. Her name is Jennifer Swan. She works with ASI, which many of you have never heard of. Frankly, I had never heard of. This is very educational podcast. I learned so much in the last couple of weeks doing these interviews. ASI is the Arts Services Initiative. Now, you may say to yourself, well, what the heck do they do? Almost everything. Arts Services Initiative has their fingers in every pie because they help all of the arts organizations, all of the cultural organizations in Buffalo. They help them with funding. They help them with day-to-day operations. They help them with bookkeeping. They help them with finance, with payroll. They're, they're a resource for everyone, for everything. So again, I learned a lot. And finally, we're wrapping up with Randy Kramer, who is celebrating 30 years at Musical Fair. And Randy Kramer, of course, has one of the most distinctive and distinguished award-winning companies in Buffalo. And Randy's going to tell us all about what they're doing and what their plans are for the future. So this is going to be a very interesting podcast. I, I hope you've tuned in to listen to it. Tuned in. Oh, my God. This is not a radio broadcast, idiot. Listen, pay attention at about the halfway point because we'll have a special surprise guest. See if you can guess who it is. So we start things off with Robin Lee Jordan from the Just Buffalo Literary Center. I hope you find this as interesting as I did. I was amazed at all they do. Welcome to another edition of RLTP's Off-Road. I'm very happy to talk to you today. So why don't you just take a moment and tell us a little bit about, for those who aren't all that familiar, uh, with the JBLC. Uh, tell us a little bit about your 40-year mission statement, because it, 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 I'll tell you what, it surprised me that it's been 40 years. It's pretty amazing. So yeah, I could probably start, the best way to start is what we like to always share our mission statement um, when we're, we're speaking to 
what we do. And so basically the mission of Just Buffalo is that, you know, we believe in the, the love of reading and the art of writing and the, the power of the literary arts to transform individual lives and communities. And so um, in action, what that means is, you know, Just Buffalo, you know, they began, like you said, 40 years ago with, with bringing authors into Buffalo to try to, you know, share the literary arts with our community. So that's a big part of what we do is, is events and whether we're supporting local writers or old prize winners for our Babel series, a lot of what we do is sort of events and presenting authors to the community and presenting um, writers in our community opportunities to share their work. And then a lot of what I do in Just Buffalo has also had a really long history of doing education programming. So we started with bringing poets and writers into the schools and doing residencies. And that's something that we still do. But about five or six years ago, we decided that we also wanted to sort of create a space for young writers to come to us. And so we saw a lot of writers, you know, a lot of the kids get so excited about poetry and about writing when we would visit them in the school. So we wanted to have a way for them to follow up with us. And so we created the Just Buffalo Writing Center. And um, that's a, a free creative writing center for teens, 12 to 18, that we do weekly programming at sort of after school hours. And then we do a lot of advocacy and for the literary arts in general. So we try to work with other literary arts organizations throughout the country to keep reminding people that the literary arts are important and, uh, and essential for community. You said you speak to other people around the country, other organizations around the country. There isn't a just Tulsa somewhere, is there? Or a just Poughkeepsie somewhere. <laughs> this is just Buffalo. It, it's, no. it's a creation. I'm sure there are literary groups around the country, but it's not a franchise where just Buffalo is part of a huge organization and you are just one tiny cog in the machine. Right. No. Yeah. We're totally um, an independent, you know, local literary arts nonprofit. So we are places like 826, um, which have writing centers that was started by Dave Eggers. And so they have multiple, you know, throughout the country, but we are just our, our own entity. I know you have a location on Washington Street. Are there people located there mm -hmm. during this quarantine or is everybody working from home? Do you have maintenance that you have to pay and rent on the building and so on? Yeah, so luckily we've all basically been able to work from home. So I feel very lucky and privileged. So we have, you know, one or two staff members that will check in maybe once a week to get the mail and make sure all the windows have stayed closed and that it's not raining inside. <laughs> and so that, that has been really, really nice in this situation. And then we do, yeah, pay rent in the building. But luckily, there isn't a lot of upkeep that we have to bring in during this time. You're not incurring a lot of debt by not being in the building is what I'm getting at. You don't have a lot of overhead. You don't have to pay a lot of maintenance people and so on to uh, maintain that location. Yes, exactly. Okay. And what is the chief source of funding for the JBLC? We get funding through a lot of different sources. So definitely we have an amazing grant writer and our executive director um, works with her hand in hand. They're like grant wizards. So we have a lot of grants and then we get, you know, money from the state and from, you know, Erie County, sort of cultural funding through our Babel series, which is, you know, we bring in four big authors a year. 
And then we just have a lot of individual donors and foundations and and things like that, people that support us and, and things that we're doing. I was a high school English teacher for 32 years, but I'm embarrassed to say that I never utilized Just Buffalo, the facilities and the the services of the Just Buffalo Literary Center. You know, I think another reason that we created the actual writing center space is that we really believe that we should be paying artists um, and our teachers. And so for a while, schools were really supporting our programming and, and bringing us in. But after a while, there was the, you know, the claim that there wasn't the money for it. And so I think a lot of places, yeah, just didn't know about us or if we would reach out, we would be sort of turned away. And also it's just so hard to, to get the word out. You know, there's so much great resources, so many great resources in Buffalo, but I think one of the hardest things that a lot of organizations like us struggle with is just getting that information out to the community that we're here for them. How has the Just Buffalo Literary Center been affected by the COVID-19 quarantine and stuff? How are you affected in your day-to-day operations? Well, first, I just have to say how grateful I am to be working at Just Buffalo right now. Our executive director, especially, you know, has been such a great leader and really compassionate. And, you know, we understand that she understands that we're in the midst of a crisis. So we've been really encouraged to sort of ease into this new reality. We've had been given a lot of time to work, but also to care for our families. We have some, you know, co-workers with children that they're homeschooling. So there's been a real culture of um, adjustment and patience and sort of slowing down, making sure that we take steps forward with intention, which I'm so grateful for. But, you know, as we've sort of eased into things, I, I do really think that what Um, we do is essential. And especially for me working with young writers and teens right now who are feeling so isolated. So I was pretty, you know, I took a week to sort of deal with the shock of everything and then quickly started um, hosting Zoom workshops for teens and coming up with other ways to, to keep reaching out to young writers and young people who really need sort of an outlet right now. So um, we've also been doing some adult workshops as well online through Zoom. And then beyond that, you know, we have a few meetings here and there throughout the week. And, you know, there's been lots of Zooming, lots of emails. So, yeah, we're sort of being tentative and, and moving forward in a, in a way that is sort of really compassionate to everyone involved, I think. Have you found yourself uh, being utilized by students for just assistance with their, with their schooling? Not so much schooling. I think we're being utilized more I've noticed with the teens in terms of some of them are feeling isolated. Not a lot of, not all of the schools are having sort of zoom or, you know, sort of virtual classes. And so some of the students haven't seen anyone, you know, haven't seen other young people. So I think they're utilizing us for that sort of sense of connection and also just processing. You know, I've, I've noticed the students are feeling really overwhelmed by school and obviously what's happening and, So um, they've been doing a lot of sort of, I think, processing and and writing with us in that way, sort of trying to deal with the stress of everything and, and also to to just have fun, you know, to have a moment of relief and distraction um, in the midst of all of this, I think is really important for them. Have you found that creativity has blossomed because isolation and personally, this is the way I feel. I, during the first parts of this quarantine, I spent a lot of time writing. Uh, for for nobody but myself, not that I think anybody's ever going to 
read it or anything, but I, I spend a lot of time writing. And I've heard for many years that there's something about a cold weather town that sort of spurs creativity because we spend a lot of time with ourselves indoors, just locked up with our own heads. And <laughs> perhaps that has helped spur creative writing. Yeah, I think, you know, I think everyone's a little different. I, I've noticed with, you know, some of the teens that we work with, a bunch of them are sort of very eagerly writing, um, whether they're writing about what's happening or just diving into a fantasy novel that they want to write. <laughs> so I have seen them sort of, you know, we've had like really good attendance. So I, I do think um, a lot of young people are feeling drawn to expression right now. But at the same time, I've had young people that usually write with us, and I know a lot of adults and writers right now who just can't do it, right? Who just sort of... Too distracted? Yeah, too distracted, you know, the and, and they just can't find their way to, to put what's happening to words. Overwhelmed by the events around them, and it's hard to focus. Uh, do, do you have a... Um consistent number of people who, you, for example, you have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday workshops, or you, or you did. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you still have those workshops regularly meet? And do you have a group of people who you see regular, regularly? Yeah, yeah. So we shifted to just Tuesday and Wednesday instead mm -hmm. of the three days. And I think that helps because, again, the kids are doing so much schoolwork on the computer. So, you know, we wanted to not sort of oversaturate. But yeah, I'm seeing a lot of the same students show up to every single session. And so that has been really powerful to sort of see the same people every week and to kind of see, well, how are you doing this week? And, and you know, what's going on? But it's also been cool. We've gotten a lot of new faces join us, hmm. which was sort of a, a happy surprise. But I think it makes a lot of sense. We have new faces. You know, we had a kid this week from Brooklyn join one of our workshops because his mom knew the teaching artists, which I thought was really cool. And then also kids that, you know, they're, they have so many after-school responsibilities, whether that's, you know, doing the school play or playing soccer or taking care of their siblings or working. And so I've also seen a lot of kids who have been wanting to come to our workshops actually being able to attend now that they don't have um, all of these other conflicts. So it's been great to, to introduce them to the community that we're building as well. Hey, what is your background that you became involved with this, uh, Robin? Are you from Buffalo? No, um, I'm actually from the suburbs of Chicago. Wow. How long have you been in Buffalo? Um, what is time? But <laughs> it's hard Today's to say. Thursday. Yeah, a week. <laughs> this is 2000. Yeah. Um, I think it's been about nine years, I believe now, almost 10. Well, I'm, I'm hope you're, I hope you're enjoying your tenure here. Yeah. Listen, I want to ask you about all the other things that Just Buffalo does, the Sidewalk Poetry Series, you know, the Silo City Reading Series, all of the things that under ordinary circumstances you would probably be working on right now. What is the status of all the other activities? And I can see by the look on your face that it's <laughs> very, very frustrating. And the Babel Series, of course, yeah. which is, is so well known in the city. Right. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm really lucky in terms of staff where I can kind of keep doing my programming and, and feel like things aren't being canceled. But I, I know, my, you know, Barbara Cole and Noah Falk, our, our education and, and artistic directors have been feeling really down. You know, I think they have like cancellation depression, you know, <laughs> Barbara mentioned every time she has to cross something out of her planner, oh. it really hurts. And so, you know, right now, we're just trying to sort of wait and see what happens, but we don't really have plans to do virtual 
versions of those programs. It's definitely a possibility, but I think they're thinking really hard about whether or not that's how we want to see those programs move forward. So we've um, expanded and are continuing to, to offer adult workshops um, online so that a lot of adults would get jealous of what we're doing with the teens. So we wanted to give them the opportunity to work on their craft. And we're doing those weekly sidewalk poems. So we're trying to think of what is, you know, what is something we can do that isn't screen-based, um, but that is also safe and isn't putting anyone at risk. And so we had these stencils of lines of writing from different authors who have spent time in Buffalo. And so every week we have staff going out and, and spraying those around the community. And we have a map now on our website where you can see where they are. Although they're with the rain, I, I have a feeling uh, we are, we're, we're going to be starting over again. <laughs> um, so they are ephemeral in that way. And one cool thing is that we've, we're doing this summer two different fellowships. And so there's a fellowship for an adult writer. It's a paid opportunity for a writer to thus far um, come live in Buffalo and you know quarantine in an apartment here and work on their craft and writing. So that's really exciting. I know they're looking at the applications now and we're doing a similar thing for young writers. So again, it's a paid fellowship where we basically pay a young writer to work on their craft and help us out with some of our programs. So it's felt good to keep those things up. But um, in terms of, you know, things like the Silo City reading and, and, and Babel, I think it's still sort of a moment of pause and just sort of waiting to see what is going to happen and, and when we can all actually be in a room together. Well, you have a, a unique situation in, in that you can keep part of your mission going. Yeah. Unlike others, you can at least do a partial fulfillment of your mission and your, your goals. It's not anywhere near as fulfilling as doing the whole thing. And I'm sure that the loss of the Babel series and the and the Silo City reading series will be tremendous losses. I, I keep trying to tell people, well, you know, all right, so it's this year and it'll be different. We can just hold our breath just for one year and, and then hopefully everything will come back. And that's, I think the greatest fear is people are, are afraid that they won't be able to, won't be able to come back. Right. But just Buffalo, it appears to me, you are still able to maintain some of your activities so you can at least have that going on for you. Have, have you found any unique problems in your situation or anything unique to your situation that has been problematic or troublesome? Yeah. You know, I know that one thing that we talk a lot about as a staff is sort of tone, um, because a lot of our programming is sort of these writing workshops and things like that. I think we, we want to invite people to process or escape or whatever they want to do through art, but also we don't want to add to this culture of pressure and this, this idea that, oh, well, you have all this time. Now is the time to write your novel, get working. You know, we don't want to, <laughs> to be putting a message out there that makes people feel guilt or feel like, oh my gosh, why am I not working on a novel during this pandemic? Um, <laughs> more pressure, yeah. just more, more pressure. Yeah, on to produce, nice. produce, produce. So I know that that's one thing we've talked about is how can we be here for people and support them and, and celebrate and, and invite them to utilize literary arts without creating that sense of pressure. Yes. Which I think we're doing a pretty good job of. And then also just because so much of what we're doing is Zoom based, there are a lot of ethical problems with 
you know, video chatting in terms of asking someone to invite you into their home and sort of assuming that they have the technology and the Wi-Fi to do that, but also um, you don't know what their home life is like. So there are issues of privacy. So trying to figure out how we, how can we present these things, but also be sensitive to those ethical questions. And also if someone isn't able to do Zoom or do a video chat, how can we still provide them with some sort of outlet or opportunity? Um, so that has been something that we've had to figure out. I assume there's also a lot of sharing regarding a, a person's writing, which there would be in a small group anyway. But I guess the, the difference is sharing through Zoom, where you also see the environment, it might be a little bit more personal, might be a little bit more privacy invasive, Yeah. Uh, would you say? Yeah. I, I, so that's a problem that Zoom <laughs> cannot overcome necessarily, although, you know, every Zoom meeting I've ever seen, and I'm I'm delighted to see you don't have bookshelves behind you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's my, my mystery closet, yeah. Yeah, that's a standard, yes. And I, I have no bookshelves behind me either. My books are over there. Yeah. But I, I would imagine that sometimes Zoom does offer various privacy issues that others might not have to deal with. Yeah. I was um, observing, uh, we're, we're partnering with this Detroit literary nonprofit Inside Out, and they have been doing open mics through Instagram for their teens. And I remember one day I was watching a teen, you know, read their poem in the closet because <laughs> that was the only... <laughs> quiet private place they could find in their house and the person is like are you in a closet and they're like yeah i'm in my parents closet this is my only privacy not even their own closet in their parents closet because, yeah, because their own closet yes. they share with three other brothers and right and right only the parents yeah well robin i would like to uh give you the opportunity i mean you and i are i taught a, a class called poetry and creative writing to my seniors. It was one of the electives, and I absolutely loved it. But the point of all of this is <laughs> that, that we're of, of the same uh, uh, ilk in terms of our, our love for books and, and literature and poetry writing and, and creative writing. Yes, yeah, So that's great. you don't have to sell me, and I'm not asking you to sell anything, but I think what you're doing is so essential. But can you, yeah. can you put it into words as to why what Just Buffalo is doing is, why is it such an important group to have that we are so lucky to have in our city? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm an intensive note taker. So I've got about a page of response to this idea. So I'm just trying to decide what to, <laughs> to share. Um, but yeah, I think it really does go back to that mission of that I 100% believe is that the power of the literary arts to transform lives and communities. And so a lot of what we do. And obviously, you know, I'm seeing this through the lens of teens, but I think it, it definitely goes with, with adults as well, is that people, I think they, they need a way to process and to escape and to connect. And I think that the literary arts give us a real opportunity to share our, our thoughts and our beliefs. And, and especially with young people who aren't often heard, you know, for me, I think about how else are they going to be heard? How else can they help us imagine new futures and ideas other than the arts and, and creative writing. I think it's such an amazing way to do that. And I think you can see how it really helps people, you know, the literary arts help us understand others in a way that goes beyond news headlines and media, which I think still really fails to represent everyone in our community. So offering people the opportunity to, to share their stories and, and their, their views and their, their, their essential questions that they're asking themselves and that they want to ask the community 
I feel like, you know, all arts, but especially the literary arts have a way to, to give us a way to do that. And I think, I love this quote from Toni Morrison, and it's something that we were sharing, you know, before all of this happened, but it continues to be, to be true. You know, like I said, a lot of people are finding it really hard to create right now. Um, and at one point, Toni Morrison said, um, obviously not in response to the pandemic, she's passed, but she said, you know, in these really difficult times, she, this is precisely the time when artists go to work. There's no time for despair, no place for self-pity, no need for silence, no room for fear. We speak, we write, we do language. That is how civilizations heal. And I think that's such a beautiful way to sort of encapsulate how important the literary arts are in, in you know, trying to imagine new futures and to heal. Thank you, Robin. That, that was yeah. beautiful. One last thing, if anybody wants to help or contribute or get involved, what can you plug that's coming up or what can you say? Obviously, you have a website. But are there other ways? Are there are there volunteer opportunities? Are there donation opportunities? Are there are there online opportunities to to get involved? Definitely. So yeah, like you you mentioned, justbuffalo.org is the website. So that has all kinds of info and you know a list of our workshops. And so yeah, I think a, a way people can support the work that we're doing is to spread the word um, to make sure that you know everyone knows that we're here and that we're still trying to provide these opportunities for young people and for writers in the community. So I would encourage people to take a workshop if they see one that calls to them. Obviously donating is wonderful. There's also a fun way to donate uh, if you don't want to just write a check. Um, we have a made to order poem program. And so you can uh, request a poem on any topic. And then we have some of our youth ambassadors, they're young people, young writers that take on leadership in our organization, and they will write a custom poem for a donation. And so that's a really fun way to support the work that we're doing and to also get a custom poem by some of the, the best writers that I know, which are these young poets in Buffalo. That's lovely. That's just a lovely idea. Listen, I appreciate you joining me today. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Any final words of encouragement or? or uh... I would like, how do you feel about me uh, reading a, a few lines of a poem by one of our students? Holy cow, I would, I would there's nothing I would love more. Amazing. Yeah, they have been blowing me away. Um, so I just wanted to share two things from two young people. So this is the, the last stanza of a poem by Theo, who has been really processing what's happening through his poetry. So he wrote, the dolphins have returned to the Mediterranean Sea. They bark and trill and flap their fins a while. And the ripping inside me means that I am tearing at the seams that I am making space for something that is long out of place. So I escape to this hole that is the perfect shape to open wide and sing a song and smile. And that goes along with what Zaniya said during a conversation we had recently, which is sometimes being lonely is us getting to know who we are. And so I love how both of those students are talking about this, this moment of of introspection of individual, but also as a community and as a nation of taking a moment to really look at who we are and the world that we want to live in and 
And I think that's such a, a beautiful way to, I thought they, they just put that so beautifully. So I wanted to share that. Thank you so much, Robin. That was lovely. I couldn't think of a better way to end it. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate it. And good luck with everything. As I said, this is a cause after my own heart. So I, I love talking to you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting me and, and Just Buffalo to share our story and for doing the work that you're doing. I think um, the arts are so important now. So I really appreciate you reaching out to, you know, our local organizations and seeing what they're doing and what they need. It's, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Robin. Have a lovely day. Thanks. You too. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. So there you go. Did you learn something? Look at me being all educational and stuff, just like the good old days. That was uh, Robin Lee Jordan from the Buffalo Literary Center, and I hope you enjoyed that interview. Coming up next, Mr. Dan Shanahan from Torn Space. Well, Dan, uh, the reason why I wanted to speak to you, of course, is because we're changing up the podcast a little bit, and we want to try to get more people involved in there are so many cultural organizations that are being affected. Mm-hmm. And of course, theater is our primary focus, but we're trying to branch out. But I still wanted to touch base briefly with all the theaters, at least do a couple of them each podcast, just so people know what's going on. And I, and I know everybody's making plans and everybody's looking at different contingencies. So I wanted to ask you, what's going on at Torrance Space? Tell me what you what you think you can at this point. So we were heading into what was to be really the busiest summer of our of our company to date. We had designed a new series of work called Neighborhood, and that was going to begin to transfer a lot of the site-specific work that we were doing at Silas City onto the Broadway Fillmore neighborhood where we're located. We were going to do a production called Intersection, which was going to involve us working with the the community, closing down the streets, having outdoor performance. In addition, we were going to continue working at Silo City and begin a large capital campaign construction project. So this really obviously got shifted quite quickly and, and, and drastically. So what we're doing now is we're assessing how can we continue to deliver performance when we were designing performance for really large-scale productions. And I have to tell you, Dan, if I could just interrupt for a second, that's the reason why I wanted you on pretty early, because I, you and Shakespeare do a lot of summer performance work. Correct. Uh, in various spaces and so on. So I wanted to make sure I got you on early, because mm-hmm. I know the Torn Space does a lot of summer things. Like you said, we, we would, I say we, would, we make about 65% of our earned revenue between May and September. So we have to then consider how can we deliver performance within these situations. So we just launched an audio performance called Passage, and that will be setting up what we hope to be our first live performance, which will be in August. So what we did was we extended our stay at Silo City this summer to now run three weeks, and we're designing a performance that will be for the newly uh, renovated meadow at Silas Space will be outdoors. We're taking a performance concept that usually is intended for 200 to 300 people per night, scale that down to 30 individuals per night so that we can space out the audience. Working with our costume designer, Jess Wegren, to create kind of customized face maskings for the audience that would not only serve them well, 
as far as keeping them safe, but also tie into the aesthetic of the performance. Oh, that's great. That's brilliant. So the, the question really is, yeah, how, how do you kind of design a performance that makes sense? Also understand that the audience is going to have expectations of safety and, and comfortability and integrate all of that into a, a performance experience. Dan, just out of curiosity, and I don't want to get into figures here, but your, your tenure at the Adam Miskevich building, that does not require you to pay maintenance or, or in other words, I'm trying to f- figure out if Torn Space has a lot of overhead in an empty space that won't be used, that's that's draining your finances. We're in a very fortunate position in that respect. We have a strong partnership with the Adam Excavage Dramatic Circle. While we have some overhead, it is extremely modest, and it allows us to weather this storm. We, we don't have the same pressures as other companies to have to be generating performances for earned revenue in order to maintain the space. So in that respect, we understand how fortunate we are to have a good partner in the Adam Excavage, and it's really allowing us to, to make it through this time. And what about the plans you had for capital improvement, and have they been put on hold? Well, we're, we're happy to say that it's, it's not being put on hold. So we've concluded the campaign. So we raised the funds. Yes. If you can include all the, all the phases together, it, it comes in about $2.4 million. And we are beginning construction as soon as next week, now that the pause order of the first phase of reopening has been lifted, which includes construction. So we're confident that we can keep that part of our programming, our part of our planning moving forward. And what will that consist of? So phase one, which is now completed, took a abandoned gas mart and converted it into our design studio. We remediated the, the site in which the gas station was on, turned into green space. That building is directly adjacent to our home space. So now what we'll be doing is creating a connective structure between the two buildings on 612 and 608 Fillmore. We'll be investing in the outdoor space so that it becomes outdoor performance space. We'll be renovating the inside of our theater, which um, will make it much more adaptable to the types of performances that we want to do. And the indoor performance uh, via a sliding door will be connected to the outside area. So we'll have a lot more options for how we want to deliver performance uh, as well as engage in the uh, wider community in that neighborhood. So it will be an enhancement of the interior, the current interior space, a connection of that space to the new structure outside that was completed when? Last year was that? 2018. Oh, 2019. Okay. So that's what the, this new capital improvement project is all about. Do you have people who are quote unquote on the payroll consistently you have to maintain employment for, or is everybody pretty much like Jess and, and yourself, you do the work contractually on a piece by piece basis? So we, have a, we have a small administrative staff that is on payroll. And again, looking at the resources that have been made available to us and to other community members, such as the payroll protection program. Yes. That's again, allowed us to maintain operations and continue to, to keep the ship moving forward. That's great. And very quickly, what, once again, you're planning for August for the silo city production that you were referring to before. So the plan would be the, that yes, that fi- well, the final weekend of July and then into the two weeks of August would be what we're hoping to be our first 
live performance that will involve the community. The one that we're currently doing is an audio piece, and that allows the audience member to select whatever space they want to experience the performance in. Uh, it's really meant to be a performance for one. And this is a, a new concept for us, and it's one we're just beginning to explore. It's a, an, a, an idea that can the audience member really complete the component of the performance? So if the audience member really commits themselves to the moment, finds a space that they want to experience the performance, whether it be on their porch or on a walk in the woods or in their backyard or in their living room, uh, put themselves in the right mindset to really engage with the audio piece. Uh, so they really become a, a connecting force in, in the entire performance. So this is a, an idea that we're beginning to explore and, and one that I expect that will continue to develop into the future. Well, I have to tell you, Dan, that I did partake of Passage, which also was an interesting thing that it was free, but offered the opportunity for donations, which I think is the way to go in a lot of these things. Um, to ask people to pay up front, it's, you're not going to get as many people. If you get a lot of people who try to just sample, and then do they enjoy it or not, and how do they feel at the end of it? It was just such an emotional feeling when it was finished that mm -hmm. you, you felt like donating. And I did, I did allow myself to be swept away by it, but I hope you get a good response to it for sure, because I think it's a really interesting concept. Thank you. Yeah, we've, we've been getting a, a really strong response. I think what we're seeing, and, and you're speaking to it, Peter, is, is how important it is to have culture in our, our life, even if it has to be experienced in, in distant ways. I think what this pandemic is showing us more than anything else is how important the daily rituals are in our life, how important culturals are in our life. And when they're stripped away, there's just very little kind of richness in, in, in the day-to-day -day experience. We're kind of left with just completing our, our tasks, answering our emails, doing, you know, <laughs> the work of life without any of that real enjoyment. And so that's, that's what we're wanting to do with Passage. And we understand that you know, times are extremely tough for many people. So that, that's why we also, you know, do not want to have a, an admission fee offer it for free if people are able or, or willing to contribute. Well, that's absolutely, you know, fantastic. Do you have a lot of overhead in the new, in the new building? Not a ton, right? Because again, it, it would only really click in when we're in, in full operations. Okay. Um, we don't maintain normal office hours there. Even before this situation has happened, most of our work is, is done remotely. And so we, we work hard and, and strategically to really keep those those overheads down because as you as you know with all your involvement in theater that really can put a strain on a company and impact the type of programming that it wants to do so we work very hard to try to find that balance so that the administrative and overhead costs don't really become a burden well dan any final statement you'd like to make to encourage people or to uh do a, do a little commercial for torrent space if you like you've already talked a lot about what the things that i wanted including the importance of of the arts in our everyday lives but just maybe some words of hope and encouragement so this idea of rethinking how performance can be delivered and experienced is an idea that we've been excited about for some time. And we feel that we're in a good position to continue approaching performance so that the audience can experience it either in intimate ways within smaller groups. It might mean creating work that is of a smaller duration, run more frequently for less people, 
really thinking about how do you tailor the personal experience for the viewer. These obviously are contrary to more traditional forms of, of theater that unfortunately, at least for the next 12 to 18 months, probably is not gonna be a reality. So we still want to be contributing to culture, being a part of the conversation. And so we will certainly uh, be working to do that. As far as you know, words of hope, I think while this is a certainly an unprecedented time, I think we have to give ourselves some one historical perspective, which will show us that this will pass. And also, if you're putting on your kind of optimistic hat, I think what it's showing us is, again, just how important these human inter interactions are, how important it is to be in a room with others experiencing a cultural event. Clearly, we took it for granted, as we should, but now this is giving us a jolt. And I think that when we come out of this, we will have a, a deeper appreciation for these for these moments. And and that can only be a good thing. And I think Torn Space has always been uniquely positioned, just with your mission statement, basically, that you you have always explored unique and different audience situations, situations with location. And I think of, of all theaters, you will be uniquely qualified to test out new parameters for theater. So I, I wish you a lot of luck with that. And thanks very much for joining me this morning. I appreciate having me on, Peter. I appreciate Road Less Traveled doing this podcast. It's important to get the input and opinions of, of, of the cultural leaders in, in the community. And I'm sure we'll all pull together and, and work our way through this. Thanks very much, Dan. All right, thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye now. Dan Shanahan, Torn Space, Innovative Theater, whether it's on stage or out in the field somewhere, that's what you can count on from Torn Space. And now, a message from the bunker with a mystery guest. Hello, my good friend Pete, who I like to call Peter, uh, has asked me to talk about things that I'm indulging in, guilty pleasures I'm indulging in during the COVID-19 pandemic. And to be honest with you, I'm not guilty about any of the things I'm doing during this time. One thing I am indulging in is fear, terror, panic, uneasiness. Any other synonym Pete wants to add in there would be certainly fine. But I am not being introspective. I am not looking into myself, looking through my third eye, playing with chakras, becoming a better me uh, at all. In fact, perhaps if I'm guilty about anything, it's the fact that I'm refusing to become a better me. But I am eating a lot and I am drinking beer and I am not guilty at all about either of those things. Um, that's, just, that's just life in Corona Town. Uh, so, to sum up, no guilty pleasures because I'm not guilty, but I am in a state of constant freefall panic. Thank you very much. Words of positivity from a friend of mine in his bunker. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to learn something again with Jennifer Swan from Arts Services Initiative. I was looking over your, your CV and that's, I was looking at it and thinking, holy cow, you, there's so <laughs> much you have done. I can't believe it just seemed like an extremely extensive list of accomplishments and activities and, and everything and all of them in the not-for-profit realm. I would say. Yeah, and and I guess my my funny anecdote to that is <laughs> when I um, when I left UB in 
2009 with my master's in arts management, I said, the last thing I'm ever going to do is work a nonprofit. And it's the only thing I've done since. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where all the big money is. Uh, yeah. so <laughs> right, right. Clearly, exactly. you're, you made a, a wise decision. <laughs> well, listen, Jen, I'll be honest with you. I really didn't know anything about our art services initiative. Mm -hmm. And the more I researched it, the more I thought, holy cow, this this thing is got its tentacles into everything as it should, because it seems like a, a, a clearinghouse for all of the possible cultural organizations in Western New York. And yeah. my first question is, what exactly was the mission when it was begun? And I can't remember the name of the person who started it back in 2011. So our first director was Todd Knizek, but we were actually created from an advisory committee based on local foundations and the New York State Council on the Arts. So really they got together as the initial advisory group and then they hired Todd as the first director in 2011. And then I became director in 20, 2017, 2018, that time. And Jen, what was the impetus for the beginning of the Art Services Initiative? So we have an interesting history. So we actually were created in the absence of the former Buffalo and Erie County Arts Council. So for several years before we existed, the Arts Council had closed for about two years. And then this advisory committee got together and said, we need this resource hub, this group that can provide help to artists and organizations. And so really that's how we were formed out of that. But our mission kind of right at the beginning, 2011, until up until a handful of years ago, really was to focus on arts as economic development, which I think was very much needed, kind of brought that, that conversation to light throughout the community, whether it was in the arts community or outside of the arts community. And then the last handful of years, we realized, we feel that we've done a great job creating that platform. And so how else can we continue spreading the good word of arts and culture throughout the region beyond economic development? So when you say economic development, the concept being that all of these cultural organizations actually help support economic growth in Western New York. The arts community actually contributes millions of dollars to the local economy. At least that's my understanding of it. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that is correct. In 2017, we actually released an economic impact report. And we found back then we, uh, we surveyed about close to 200 nonprofit arts and culturals in the five counties of Western New York and found that it was a $352 million economic impact from those groups. And they also hired uh, up to 10,000 full-time equivalent jobs in our region. Wow. Yeah. And how have things changed, not since COVID, we'll get to that in a minute, but since you took over in 2017, how have things changed? Are things different now in terms of the way the arts are appreciated or looked at, or, or in terms of the way your mission has changed? You said a little earlier that now you're focusing a little differently. Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, um, I think you know, the arts sector and our arts community, uh, the conversations we had back in 2011, we've always been a very united sector, but I feel that even more so now, 10 years later, or going into 10 years later for ASI, it's really obvious that we are all on this together. We're here to help each other out and we work together as a, as a great community and unit. 
So I think that has changed over time. I think our messaging to others who aren't in the arts community has changed over time. So whether it's leaders, elected officials, could be school groups, medical groups, and they view the arts community as a way to partner with them and help them towards their goals too. So I think that has changed in the last 10 years. And then for us personally, for ASI, economic development is still important in the arts, but I think we're looking to how can we help do what we did in the vein of economic development and look at whether it's arts and education, arts and healthcare, arts and veterans, arts and military, and look at that and say, how can we make sure that that message is getting across? So that's really where we're shifting our focus. So it's still the core of arts, but how else and where else do we play that role? Arts is such a broad term. You have membership or you have participants in a broad spectrum. Could you say from A to Z, many of our listeners, you know, are theater people. So in in your case, of course, there are theater members, theater participants, artistic directors, and so on from various theaters. But what's what's at the other end of the spectrum? You also include the art museum, for example, and other things. What would be at the other end of performance? You know, if performance is at one end of the spectrum, what might be the other end? Yeah. That you have participants and people who are members, if that's what it's called, of the ASI group. So we we have a very open door policy and we do look at arts as a very open and, and loose term. You know, I think there's traditional arts, right? Like, as you said, performing arts, theater that can span to music and dance. But also we work a lot with DIY, uh, do-it-yourself, arts and crafts, you know, looking at cultural centers, multicultural centers. It could be film and media. We've seen textile art really looking at anything in which you're, we we sort of started to shift towards the phrase creative and creativity over art, because I think art has a certain association of what traditional art could mean, Yes, but it's more creativity and creative entrepreneurship too. So before this COVID-19 thing hit, how did you deal with these individual, maybe didn't deal on an individual basis, you dealt with everybody sort of as a group. What was your function with let's say, the theater community? What did you try to help them do? Find grant money? What else? What was involved in that? Yeah. So a lot, we we kind of divvy up our services and resources in a couple different categories. So one one big category is funding, and that's kind of two-pronged funding in that we give out our own funding, but we have a lot of eligibility. So we see, we see a lot of times a lot of small to mid-size theaters, for example, come through that process. But then also we'll hold a workshop or a training session on grant writing 101 or best practices for grant writing and, and really teaching organizations how to find other resources for themselves as well. So, you know, looking at that funding component there, so it's not only us being a funder, which makes us, I think, a unique organization that not only are we a hub and a resource, but then we're also giving out money as well. Do they approach you? Do they come to you? Or or do you reach out in some way and say, we've discovered a federal grant that just became available, and we think it might fit your performance group, your dance group, whatever, or your group of literary artists? Do you reach out? Or do they come to you and say, we need to find some money for something. You know, as an example, we need, we're having a capital building fund or something like that. 
can you help us find some money? Which way does it go? Do you reach out or do they reach out? Both. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, the, the simple answer is both. Uh, in the case where we reach out, it's usually for the funding that we're giving out. So we know our eligibility, our criteria. We have a master list of all of our arts and culturals that we know that are in the five counties. So we may reach on that end if it's funding we're giving out. But on the other side of it, in the last handful of years, something that's actually changed with the organization as well is that we've, we've placed a lot of focus on one-on-one -on -one consulting and meetings, if you will, where someone may just reach out and say exactly that. We're having a capital campaign. We're putting an extension onto our theater. Where, where do I go to find funding? And so you're a resource to help them locate other resources. Mm -hmm. Yep. And how are you funded? Not you personally, but I mean, how is ASI funded? So we we are funded by mostly grants and foundations. So Fund for the Arts Coalition is one of our largest funders, the New York State Council on the Arts. So we have some programs that are funded through the National Endowment for the Arts. But another thing that we've been exploring since 2017 is we have this fee-for-service bookkeeping program where we have finance staff member on our team that helps with ASI's finances, but we also contract him out and he's hired by other organizations to help them with their bookkeeping. So he, he'll help them with their bills and that financial aspect. And we charge well below market rate, what it would cost for say, for someone to hire a CPA. So that way we're not only providing a decrease in, in what that costs for the organization so it's accessible to them, but we're also giving them kind of those best practices in financials and reporting. So you're actually helping them with things that could be day-to-day -day operations. Yeah. Bookkeeping and, and salaries, paying out uh, whatever. Yes. Money in, money out. <laughs> money <laughs> On an almost daily basis. Yes. Well, okay, let's get into it then. How have things changed for you since this whole quarantine and the gradual opening? I know just two days ago you had a thing called reopening together where you had a, was it an online, I assume it was an, it was an online meeting yep. where you met with a, a bunch of people, but let, we'll get to that in a moment. But how did things change just in general once the quarantine hit for ASI? Your operations, were you able to maintain operations? I know you have offices in the Trimane building. Were you able to keep that open uh, or is everybody now working from home do you have people there who are still on payroll how are things different because they're sure as hell different for everybody else yeah yeah that's that's for sure um so we are all working remotely i think one of our benefits whether that's a pro or con i'm not i'm still not sure at this point you know, we don't do as much public programming the way arts groups do. You know, we're more here to be a resource to those groups that are doing the public programming. So it was fairly easy for us to go remote, to have our staff work from home. So that's what we're doing right now. And what we notice is that our work became more active than ever, than, than I think in the last nine years that I've been at ASI because of the need, because of the impacts of COVID. So other organizations, they went through the struggles of working remotely or canceling their events, really changing what was happening with them, increase their need to come to us and call us and ask us for help for direction, for insight. So we've actually been working probably double the amount that we've worked pre-COVID. Wow. And I know you had workshops and all sorts of things that you were having. Did those 
I assume those are continuing online. Took a little while to get up to speed or, or get them to become a remote sort of offering for people and they're still being offered? Yeah, so uh, you, you mentioned before the Reopening Together series. That's, um, so normally in a, in a, I guess, quote unquote, normal, if you will, circumstance, you know, we would have held something like that in person at a local location where we'd have presenters and speakers and, and really getting everyone together to have that conversation. But uh, we moved all of that virtual. So we've been doing, prior to that series, which launched a few weeks ago, uh, we were doing weekly coffee chats with arts administrators in the field to just say, let's check in, let's talk to each other, let's see what's going on, what are you experiencing, how are you handling this? And, and we really wanted to get people together to share with each other because we didn't want to be in silos even though we were working from home. Um, but that really turned into this reopening together series where it's a four-week series where there's a lot of rules and regulations going around, especially looking at phase four reopening for arts and entertainment. Yes. Still a lot of question marks around that. <laughs> but we had, for our first session, we had over about 150 attendees come to participate to hear our guest speakers. And, and we tried to, as best as we could, really go through the state guidelines and the recommendations and make that easily digestible if, if we could do that. I was going to ask how many participants did you have this past Tuesday, but how, how do you even manage an online meeting of 150 participants? I guess you just mute everybody, number one, <laughs> except for your designated speakers. But then if people want to ask questions, maybe they, they send a comment in or, or what. It just seems so unwieldy to do it this way. I can see all of you in an auditorium. I can see people raising hands. I can see that happening. But this way, it's just mass chaos, I, I would imagine. But you're probably gradually figuring out how to do it more efficiently. And you say there's going to be a continuation of this series? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll have it for, it's each Tuesday in June. So we'll have it for four weeks. Uh, we focus on different areas. But, you know, to your point, uh, it, was, it was a learning curve. Uh, <laughs> we've never hosted a 150-person <laughs> online virtual Zoom meeting before, uh, and we definitely learned some things, so that, that's without saying. Uh, I didn't even know you could have 150 people in a Zoom meeting. I guess that's, well, we're all learning something. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, not a skill that we're born with. We uh, we had to figure that out for sure. But like you said, you know, it, I think there's something to say about the arts community and being in a room together, whether you know just physically being in a room together where you can feed off of the energy of other people. And in this case, we were trying to feed off the energy of a video recording and having everyone on mute and asking questions through a chat feature. So it was. <laughs> It was different for sure. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure just the fact that you're all in the same room together, pre-meeting and post-meeting, the little conversations that take place between, you know, between a theater person and somebody from the Museum of Science and, and a, a dance person and somebody from the Allentown Art Festival or whatever, the, those different sorts of intercourse that go on have to be as enlightening as anything. And that's what's really missing. But you know what? I do want to answer, ask this question. Have you discovered anything new since your existence under the quarantine? Have you discovered anything that you found 
is a better way of doing things? Have you learned anything and said, you know, here's a positive to this whole thing. We've, we've discovered a new way of doing something or a better way of doing something. Cause I'm of the belief and I keep spouting this every time I do this podcast, but I'm really of the belief that all of this is going to have positives somewhere down the line. It, it may be no more than two years from now, we're, we're all looking at a play on Broadway, some playwright or some novelist or some short story writer will be writing about this and, and there will be new art coming from this horrible time that we've been living through. But I'm also of the belief that there are some good things that are going to happen within groups such as your own, where you say, as an example, a lot of businesses are already saying, we've discovered we don't need people coming into the office. We can keep half of our workforce home. We can use half of the parking spaces, half of the, the money that they pay for parking every month. We can just save that and people can work from home. That's just an example. Have you discovered things that you like and that you said, you know what, we were forced into this but it's actually worked better for us in the long run. So I guess my example, well, before I say this, you better you better copyright and trademark your, your theater idea <laughs> because I'm sure somebody will do it. <laughs> <laughs> if, only, if only I had the creativity to write it myself. <laughs> you know, for us, I think the one thing that I really took, and this was even within the first few weeks of the pause order, I really truly feel that for a long time, we as the collective arts community have been talking about how can we be creative, right? Because that's what we do. We're creative and we come up with all these great new ideas and concepts. How can we be creative in serving our patrons and audiences? And I really do think with the shift from in-person to virtual has brought an opportunity for our field to think differently about how we put together our programs and what we're offering to people. But I also think that it has shown a spotlight on the importance of getting together in person. And I do think that is the silver lining here is that there, there needs to be a balance. It can't be one or the other. And the solution isn't to go full virtual because not everybody has that access, not everybody wants to sit on a video recording or watch something remotely, but maybe maybe it's a new opportunity for the field where our groups and our theaters and our museums will start thinking about how can we have both options? How can we have both in-person interactive activities, but also virtual and for those who maybe don't want to come into the theater, but they can still engage with us in some way. So I'm really excited about that. I, do, I don't know what that looks like, uh, um, but I think it's a, an amazing opportunity for us. So it gives us a greater appreciation of, of when we can be together. Mm -hmm. That has the, a greater appreciation, but it also has opened, you know, there's, there was a line from uh, the original Jurassic Park movie, which I think you're too young to have seen, but the original Jurassic Park movie, Life Will Find a Way. It's my favorite quote. And I feel like creativity will find a way and there will be different ways. So your point is that the appreciation for being together is also something that we can look forward to. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be new outlets to experience art 
and new audiences to to connect with that may have not otherwise considered you know maybe someone didn't consider going into a theater for whatever reason they may have another opportunity to engage with that theater because maybe there's a virtual option i think it just opens the possibilities do you think that your meetings whereas your meetings used to be more in person that you might have more of them but <laughs> with limited for example a meeting every day with five people as opposed to a meeting every two weeks with 150 people. You might still have a meeting every month with 150 people, but in the meantime, you have a lot of little meetings with smaller groups. Is that something you've considered or is that something that already is happening? Yeah, um, actually, that's a great point. I think uh, we used to have a lot of one-hour presentations that we did when we could meet in person mm -hmm. and maybe five people would come, maybe 10 people would come, maybe 100 people would come. But we used to actually do that twice a month, every month for the entire year, which started for us becoming very, very overwhelming yeah. because it was the planning, it was, it was putting that in an event space, organizing it. But I think to your point, we could do those smaller groups on a Zoom multiple times a week and not have to physically leave a space or physically set something up and then still have larger group meetings in person. And that actually would increase what we could do in the field and work with the field on because we can have that blend of virtual and in person. So you can actually increase communication because you're having more smaller uh, smaller opportunities and you're taking advantage of more. Now, who who facilitates these? It can't be you, Jen. <laughs> I know you're not alone there, <laughs> but there must be, what, a hundred other? Who would facilitate all of these online meetings? Do you have someone who's in charge of this sort of thing? Is that a, is that a role that's filled at ASI? Yeah, so we're fairly small staff, even though uh, what we do may seem like it's a team of 100. Uh, sometimes we feel like we do the work of a team of 100. <laughs> but uh, we have a staff of five, and we do have a dedicated uh, grants and programming director. Five? Yes, five. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Yes. I thought you would say 25. <laughs> How about... Sometimes we do the work of 25, but yeah, we, we are five. Oh, Lord. I thought I was... <laughs> I thought you'd had a, a cast of thousands, but you don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Continue. So it's a staff of five. Yes, staff staff of five, and we do have a dedicated a dedicated person. So this kind of professional development trainings presentations is really organized and spearheaded by that person. But we have the very holistic team effort approach that we take, where it's all hands on deck all the time. Oh, I'm I'm so sorry that I've taken up this much of your time. You, no, you must have no. a, you must have a ton of other things you need to do. <laughs> just to go back just for a second. So is there is there anybody at the Tri-Main building now? No. So the the Tri-Main building entirely closed uh, outside of essential personnel right at the middle of March. They're just starting to open up now, but we'll we'll check in, you know, I'll stop in the office every once in a while, but we're not open to the public. And I think the building is starting to go through that phase, which I guess to that point, I will say there's so many arts groups and artist studios in that building that that has been a real challenge. I think about a lot of the individual, a lot of the visual artists who go in there and they use that for their studio space. You know, there's Buffalo Art Studio, Buffalo Game Space, Journeys End. Like I just think about all those groups in there and it's no longer a community hub because it's closed. 
So that has been a challenge. So they're in the process of reopening as well, but what phase are they in? Phase 15? <laughs> well, I, I think it, it depends, right? They, they have over a hundred different businesses of all sizes, scopes, disciplines, for-profit, not-for-profit, and they, the building itself is open, but it's up to the individual tenants to decide which phase they fit in for reopening. I see. And so generally it's not, it hasn't been open to the public at all during right. this, during this quarantine. Right. Can you tell us anything about, I know you, the meeting you had for reopening together this past Tuesday, uh, was there any, were there any enlightening ideas that came out of that? Or was it just sort of a, an orientation to this is, this is what we're going to try to do together. This is what we're going to focus on in the future. Anything that came out of this past Tuesday's meeting? Yeah, I mean, we wanted to be an overview of how we can work together and, and share our ideas together. There were a lot of initial questions that I think we didn't have the answers to because really it's it's up to the state and the county and the city based on where we get to when reopening in phase four happens. So still a lot of outstanding questions, but I, I think the takeaway I had from it was I was so pleased to see so many organizations involved in attending and already thinking 10 steps ahead about what they need to do to reopen or what they need to be thinking about or considering. I think, you know, there were some questions about outdoor arts programming, festivals, things like that, about whether there, there has been any guidelines or recommendations from the state or the county on that. And we're not quite there yet, but I would imagine it being Western New York and Buffalo and summers, summer's one of our best times that a lot of groups will want to maximize on the good weather and maybe extend their operations to an outdoor space to, to recognize, you know, everything that's going on. Jen, do you have, where do you get your information about state guidelines? Is there, is there somebody from the state that you can communicate with and say, we need to guide 3,000 people in our arts community and we're looking for guidance. Is there somewhere you can go to get that information? Or does someone from the state actually communicate directly with you, not you personally, but the ASI? What's your pipeline to the information? Uh, to, be, to be honest, we don't have a direct person. I mean, we have good relationships. You know, Kathy Hogel, the lieutenant governor, is, is based out of here. Actually, our former office space used to be uh, near her office space, so that was always nice to see her. But we're not in direct communication with them. Honestly, we just, we are we are connected to Empire State Development and those groups. And we part of what we make sure that we do is we just stay on top of that information, those newsletters, and then we collect all that informa information and share it with the field. So essentially, we're vetting and going through and researching and finding all that information to share with everyone else. I'm still trying to get over the fact that there are only five of you <laughs> doing this. It's... it's... I, I do have to say, your reaction is not uncommon. Usually <laughs> when I when I go out of my way to say how many staff members we have, people go, wait, what? You left a number out of that five. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I absolutely thought it was going to be at least 25 people. <laughs> Not not five people. It's that's miraculous to we me. We have an amazing team. They're great. Yeah, I'm sure they are. We don't sleep. We don't ever sleep. It's okay though. 
Well, you don't, you don't need sleep. You'll be fine. <laughs> you, you, when you get to be my age, then you need to sleep a little bit, but you, you, you're, you're okay. You know, it's funny because talking to you earlier about how we're trying to keep more cultural organizations part of the podcast, we've really sort of, with ASI, we've sort of hit the mother of all the cultural organizations because you have your fingers in all of these pies. I, I wonder what went on before ASI even existed and how many people don't even know that, that you exist at this point. Um, I, I know that I learned a lot just doing research leading up to this interview because I had heard of you, but I certainly did not realize how, as a matter of fact, why don't you just do that right now? Why don't you tell us how important you are to arts and cultural programming and administration in Western New York? Yeah, I, you know, art services, I, it's exactly what our name is. We want to be here as whether it's a group to lean on, uh, a place to find resources. I think, you know, one of our, one of our challenges is that no matter how long we've been around for nine years going into our 10 year in 2021, which is unbelievable to me, Yes. you know, there's always going to be somebody or a group that has never heard of us. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just that we have such a blossoming arts community and so much going on. And I think our role in that is really just, we're, we're here. We're here as a force, someone to lean on, someone to partner with, collaborate with, and, we focus on that business side of the art world, which I think sometimes gets pushed to the other side. And we wanna make sure that you can do all of your fun, creative, artistic stuff, but we're here to say, okay, but don't remember all this boring stuff like finance and management and budgeting, that needs to be done too, but we'll be here to help you get through that part of it. And you're open to anybody, any arts organization, there's no, there's no initiation fee or uh, that you just contact Arts Services Initiative if anybody has, because I looked at the list of, of clients and people who are, you know, in, in your, under your umbrella, and it's almost everybody I could, well, it's more than people. I, I didn't even know certain things existed. The list of people involved, well, the very fact that you had 150 people this past Tuesday, and I'm sure that wasn't even everybody. I'm sure there were some who either were, were busy or couldn't be involved, but will be. Uh, how often are you going to be having these uh, uh, reopening together meetings? It's once a week on Tuesdays in June, and we are recording them. So right now, it's just the four weeks. We're recording them for anyone who can attend. We'll put it up on our website and our YouTube page for future reference, but we'll reevaluate and see you know, as we get closer to phase four, is there new information? Should we extend it out a couple of weeks? Should we add a few more? So right now we're, we're holding up those four meetings and actually next week's meeting, we're really breaking it up into artistic disciplines. So we have performance groups and galleries and museums, individual artists, uh, literary media arts. So we're trying to group together like artistic disciplines so they can talk about what they're doing uh, within their own artistic area. And I would I assume you're talking about more than just business aspects at this mm -hmm. point. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we first started with the kind of traditional guidelines, rules and regulations, uh, you know, the standard, what do you need to prepare for? But then it's going to transition into, okay, now you have a very specific art form. How does this distinctly impact you? You know, you think about, 
choral groups and how can they get together and rehearse right now? They can't rehearse with a mask on. That's a very challenging thing. And so how do we be creative about how can they stay connected and keep doing what they're doing, but also prepare to reopen to be available when, the, when that time comes. Jen, are there groups all over the country that are like ASI? All over the country, um, all across New York State, actually, we, uh, we are one of 40-some what are traditionally deemed as arts councils across the state that help certain uh, counties and areas of our community. We and all of our services serve all five counties. So that's Erie, Niagara, Cattaraga, Chautauqua, and Allegheny. We see the most activity from Erie and Niagara counties because that's just where we are and that's that's where we see a lot of our activity. Uh, and then there's a, an arts council south of us, the Tri-County Arts Council. They work with artists, artists mostly, but some organizations and those other interior counties. Uh, so we try to all work together too. So not only, you know, region-wide, but statewide and nationally too. And I'd say international. Yes, that was my, my next question, which was, <laughs> you know, are, are you in communication with other groups of your nature, of your type, and what they're doing? And I was just wondering if you also have those sorts of, and you just answered the question, you do have those sorts of resources and you do communicate with these other groups from time to time. And so you're, you're all learning from each other. And, and again, that's another positive of this whole mess, I think. Yep. We're also communicating with others who are in the same sort of situation. And that's a positive. Yeah. Uh, Jen, listen, I've, I've, I've spoken to you twice as long as I, <laughs> as I t told you it was going to last. But listen, thank you once again. I appreciate you coming on and talking to me. I will send you a link to this whole thing so you can listen. And it's really been a, a pleasure getting to speak to you today and to, to, to see you this way. And thank God for all the amazing work you guys are doing. It is greatly appreciated, I know, uh, by every organization who has the fortune to be involved with your group. So thank you for ASI. And, uh, and you take care of yourself yeah, you and stay healthy and, and sane. Yes, and hopefully we can meet in person after this. That's what I say to everybody, and I yeah. firmly believe that all of my all of my podcast guests we're all going to sit down and have a coffee or a drink at some point. I love it. I'm in. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> Thank you. Bye bye now. Thank nice you. Nice meeting you. Bye. Nice meeting you too. You see, what did I tell you? Art Services Initiative. Boy, this has been a revelation to me. I'm learning so much. And now a man who needs no introduction, but I will introduce him anyway, Mr. Randy Kramer from Musical Fair. I don't know what happened either. But listen, before we even begin, I, let me congratulate you on 30 years. Oh, <laughs> let me ask, for those of us who are old enough to remember, does this include Summer Fair, or was it just the entity when you became Musical Fair? No, this is Summer Fair, starting in uh, June of 19, July, I think it is, of 1990. Wow, that's that's amazing. It, it, and congratulations. Good for you. Thanks. I, I'm sorry <laughs> that you have to celebrate this way uh, tomorrow night, but... Um, we'll do it big at some point. You yeah, know. I'm sure you will. Well, you know, another reason I, I wanted to talk to you in the early rounds here was not only because of your anniversary coming up, but because Musical Fair probably does the most productions of anybody and you have the most going on all the time uh from from the cabaret series to just your regular shows you must do six shows a year now or, or were you doing six shows a year i mean we, we do we do five 
productions on the main stage in Amherst, we do two or even three, like this year, no, this year was, yeah, two at Shea 710, and then the cabarets. Not even including the cabarets, we're up to around 200 performances a year without the cabarets. That's amazing. And the cabarets are about another 30. Yeah, so you probably, arguably speaking, and I'm, I'm sure other theater executive directors would argue with this, but arguably you put on the most productions per year because you, you run the most nights of the week. Yeah, we run six times a week instead of five. We run five weeks instead of four. Oh, yeah, we by far have the most productions. You hire the most people. You have the most actors, the most performers, the most artistic designers, and so on. So I feel that that you probably have been the, the hardest hit or one of the hardest hit by all of these from the quarantine and the COVID. Yeah. So I sort of wanted to touch base with you and, and see how things are going and, and what you can tell us about how are things going in day-to-day -day operations there. Well, you know, we're... Our full-time staff, uh, which is a staff of six, including myself, are all still on payroll. And uh, we meet uh, through Zoom meetings three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I talk to each one of them every day. And so we're working on a lot of different things. Doug Wine, our, our marketing director, is you know working on making sure we have a social presence. Uh, we've been, he's been posting you know pictures from previous shows. I know you've seen a couple of those interviews with actors he's been doing that and then and then posting them online of course we've been doing these virtual cabarets that he's helped to uh, to market so i mean that's you know that area continues to move forward our development director nell moan continues to work on grants and applications for everything from area foundations to state agencies we're we're right now debbie pappas our administrative director we've been working on our database preparing it for our when we move into a, you know, when we start a campaign to move into a new building in Amherst, which is we're calling the 2025 campaign, um, that has not started. But what we're doing is we're doing all the research now on our patrons and and looking at everything from not only their giving history to musical fair and their attendance history to musical fair, but also looking at an analysis of their wealth status. And then we're putting together basically a list and a plan moving forward. There, Christy Cavanaugh, our box office manager. We still have two other people in addition to her part-time um, that work in our box office remotely. They've been very busy between shows that um, um, we've been unable to do, like Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder or Swing, 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 which we're now going to be doing as a video concert for our subscribers and single ticket patrons. So she's been very busy doing that. And so, and then I'm, you know. You've got your fingers in everything, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it seems to me that you guys are uniquely positioned to continue to produce entertainment. Unlike other theaters, just because of the type of entertainment you do produce, things like Swing, 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 those things are conducive to putting on the cabaret stage and sending out via whatever social media there is available. And probably, uh, maybe I'm overstepping here, but probably continuing to maintain some source of income. It's something as, as simple as your Kaba a cabaret, you know, <laughs> which I enjoyed the other night, the uh, the Jekyll Cops Ferrugia extravaganza. <laughs> but you're, as I said, you, you're uniquely positioned to actually continue to produce entertainment pieces. Am I incorrect in assuming that? No, I mean, it, it, it clearly, yeah, we can certainly do that and we will. In fact, that, that cabaret series, we intend to make it a monthly you know, it started off with Teresa and I doing a girl, a guy, a piano, and then the cabaret. We'll be doing something in June. 
you know, and we're working with the Amherst Chamber of Commerce, we're working with area restaurants, we're trying to create business and commerce for the area, in addition to creating some dollars for ourselves. I mean, it'll never get anywhere near our earned revenue that we've had, but it is helpful. And there's a lot of things that have happened that have been very, uh, very sort of uh, supportive and great to, great to see. For example, with those uh, cabaret tickets, there's also an opportunity on the website for someone, if they want to, to donate. They don't have to. Certainly, they've already paid for the tickets and they've got a lot of money. But we've had a lot of people rounding up, you know, it's $13 total with the ticketing charge. They'll round up to 20 yes. Some have rounded up much more than that, some a little bit less, some not some that at all. But it's been encouraging to see that kind of support. And we actually were able to create or, or realize quite a bit in additional donations for that particular cabaret. And I would hope moving forward, that may be part of this whole landscape. And it's really changed for me when we finally get back in the theater, when we all get back in the theater, when we're all able to look at an audience, <laughs> I'm gonna look at our audience very differently because I really feel like there's a family and a community that is here. And I've seen it from people's responses. And, I, and uh, we just had just this morning, of course, my new normal is Friday morning. I have to drive to Damon and pick up the mail once a week. Okay. Because <laughs> that's the only way, that's the safe way to do it. And yeah. so um, I picked up the mail and I looked and there was one of our donors who's been a dear donor for us for a long time. They just wrote us a check and they said, listen, you know, we know that this has got to be a really tough time cash flow wise. We thought you might need this. Uh, and it was a substantial check. And it's just, it's, it's just encouraging to know that we have, you know, we've created a community and we're creating, I think, even a, even a stronger community. So when we're able to get out of this thing, whenever that is, you know, we'll be able to move forward. I agree. I think there are a lot of people out there who are very, very aware of how much the arts community has been hit by this. And, and the, even the very fact that theaters and other entertainment venues are in the last phase of reopening. And even then, the question of how to reopen I saw a picture yesterday from Germany with rearranged seating and the place held maybe 300 people and they had seat the two seats here, then another six feet over one seat and one seat and it was heartbreaking. And I don't know how people with, with smaller houses as you have, I don't know how you can produce presentations that can be accepted by a third of a house or, or a quarter of a house. How, how do you survive on that? And, and there are plenty of people out there who are looking and saying, we want you to stick around and we want to help. And I think people want you to be there when they get out. So all these things that you're doing to maintain a presence with them and to even just give things away for a very, very limited price, but ask for donations, I think is great in your survey of patrons have you asked them for the new place wherever or whatever it's going to be have you also asked them questions about what they liked about the old place but what they would prefer in terms of oh i don't know restrooms uh, layout floor plan are those part of the questions that you're asking yeah we, we haven't surveyed too much on, the, on 2025 yet we have surveyed on the atmosphere and everything that's happening right now mm -hmm. i can tell you moving forward in 2025 a huge element for our patrons is the intimacy of that theater. And that is really important. So we're looking right now, our tentative plans are for a 250 seat theater, but still to have only eight rows, just like the theater that we have now. Oh. It would just be spanned out more. Yes. Uh, in more of a, almost a, you know, like a semicircle, although it's still a straight proscenium stage. So we're very cognizant of that. 
that has to be. They want to maintain the intimacy. Uh, even if you get bigger, even if you get to, in, into a larger house, mm -hmm. they want to feel like they're up close. That's right. I understand that perfectly. And so the new space will have, you know, I mean, we have very limited stage height right now in the space that we're in, yes. very limited. And so, you know, we'll go from 11 feet to 18 or 19 feet. You know, we have one side of the stage has no offstage space to speak of. It's like two feet. <laughs> we'll have 30, 40, 50 feet on either side uh, and a backstage area. So that will be very different. Yes, fly space and wing space are yeah. at a premium, I, I'm sure. Here's what we haven't had for years. We want to fly things. Yeah. And we and they hit the ceiling at about 12 feet. So Yeah, we, yeah. we will... We will not have traditional fly space, but we will have enough space up there to where we're able to manipulate things almost and not dissimilar to what we do now, but just with the extra space, of course, it'll allow you that much more freedom. But mm -hmm. having offstage space that sets can be from both sides moved on and off effortlessly. Right now, we basically have to move from stage left only that, you know, will make a huge difference moving forward. This is not really related to that, but I'm curious, are you incurring a lot of expense in the current theater as an empty building that's not being used to its full capacity, that's being used, you know, about a tenth of what its value is? Are you incurring rent or maintenance or whatever? Is that still going on? Are you still under the gun for those kinds of expenses? Well, we've been very fortunate. Uh, we have a great relationship with Damon College, and uh, we've been in residence there ever since we started. Yes. Uh, and in residence really means in kind. We are there. And the idea is that we would, bring, you know, we bring on 25,000 people a year onto that campus. And so uh, one of the presidents, a couple presidents back, called us the college's football team because we bring attention to them. Uh, and we bring people on the campus, and they might maybe drive through the campus like they never have before, and they see these buildings and they see this viable college. Right. That all said, every expansion that we have done, and we've done three major ones uh, in that space, everyone we've done has been in our dime, completely on our own. Oh. Uh, the college, not a part of that. And so for the most recent one we did in 2014, where we added the cabaret area uh, and expanded that greatly added a box office area, we did that on our own. We paid for it our, ourselves, you know, went through a fundraising campaign. It's around a million dollar expansion. And the good news, is as of this month, actually, I paid it off at the end uh, earlier um, in, in, in May, but as of er, uh, June, I should say, it's paid off. That loan is completely paid off. And so, yes, we've been paying in a way rent because we've been paying on the work that we put into the building. We've been having to pay a pretty substantial rent every month in a way, uh, you know, at capital costs. But that is now finished thanks to, you know, some wonderful support from some area foundations and wonderful support from individual donors and us taking care of things. And it couldn't come at a better time because if you're paying thousands of dollars a month, um, you know, in rent, and like you say, you're not actually utilizing the building as much as you would like to, that's an issue. Yes. Uh, but it will help us moving forward. You know, we've been in some ways fortunate within this whole pandemic, of the timing of things. We closed our Cooking at the Cookery show the week before everything closed down. So we were able to finish that run completely, right, right to the end. And actually, it actually it went beyond projections, which was good. Then we didn't start our Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder rehearsals for another three weeks. And so that, it never started. I see. Uh, so we didn't incur those costs that we could never get back. And Bright Star, which we were supposed to do in 710, we were able, again, not to incur costs on that. So as bad as the situation is and as challenging as the situation is, it could have been much worse for us just with you know additional debt 
Um, you know, we were part of a uh, musical fair and myself was part of uh, a curious instance of the dog in the nighttime. Yes. Uh, for one productions, you know, down to 710 and to see that literally close four o'clock on opening night was, was something I'll never, I'll, I, I never thought I would experience and I'm sure I, pray to God I'll never experience again. Absolutely heartbreaking. All of us, those of us who were involved in other shows who at least had a week or so to, to play, uh, I think we did maybe seven shows at the Cav, and and then we heard about Curious Incident and everybody's heart just skipped a beat because we know what it's like to be this close this and even have to have had preview audiences and people have seen the show and you're very excited to get really out there and then they say okay go home oh just heartbreaking unlike anything else and but you know there again you know pro producers will tell you that you probably incur anywhere from 60 to 70 percent of your cost up to, up until opening night because keep in mind, after opening night, you're just paying a running crew and a cast. Mm -hmm. Versus before that, you're paying all of those people, plus you're paying an entire production staff, plus you're paying all the production material costs. Yes. So that had incurred so much, so much expense uh, without any hope, you know, without any ability, I guess I should say, to recoup some of it. So that was difficult. And just the human part of it was heartbreaking. I was there Wednesday night for the final preview. You know, we had 300 uh, Shays volunteers in the audience who thoroughly enjoyed themselves. And I, I really was looking forward to opening. You know, we'll do it at some point, I would imagine. I hope so. You know, but I, again, who knows what next season, what that actually means next season. I really hope so. And b before we talk about what next season might be, <laughs> for something like Bright Star that never even, it was supposed to be at 710, but never even got off the ground. You're not involved in any, or you're not responsible or incurring any costs for that, are you? It never started, it never took place. In other words, there's no residual rent of the space or anything that, oh, well, you were committed to this. They just wiped the slate clean, I hope, yes? No, Michael Murphy and Shays are great to work with, and he understands how this works. Michael was a, okay. you know, was a general manager and a stage manager before that, so he's come up through the business like we have. And so, uh, no, we uh, they've been great that way. I mean, we, you know, you have some uh, some royalty costs that you've paid ahead of time, but even the royalty companies are are being great about working with you and figuring, you know, you can use that as a credit for another show or if you want a refund. So they've been. Everybody understands the situation we're in. And everybody understands that this is an ecosystem, right? And so <laughs> right. if I'm a royalty house and I hold on to your money and that along with other things puts you out of business, well, I've just lost future income. And so we've got to all work together in this to make sure that there is a future. And everybody in the Buffalo theater community was, was affected immediately. Right. And as you said, sometimes it was it costs had already been incurred. And sometimes you were just on the brink of starting something where now those expenses have been saved. Do you have any feeling of what a next season might look like, where or when or how? Do you feel like anything can start before 2021? You know, I have been very busy coming up with, I would say multiple, but that doesn't, that doesn't even cover it. Many, many, many scenarios moving forward. You know, what does it look like in, in 2020? If indeed things open up, what does it look like? You talked before about the stage four. So what does that mean for us? Does that mean that there has to be six foot social distancing? If that's the case, we've done the work and we, we understand what we could, what we could hold at our space in Amherst. And it's very, it's very little. And, and, uh, and so 
there's that to take into account. Do we think about trying to get into a bigger space that we can then do that same idea with? And, and just, with more space between people. Yeah, but I mean, and so, and, but we could put more people in, but still have them socially distant and safe. Does that, that would change the economics of some things. You know, do we look at doing shows uh, in a different way? Instead of doing a huge show, do we do smaller shows? Um, do we even take smaller shows and reinterpret them with even a two-person cast that can stay uh, some distance from uh, each other? Now, again, I'm talking mostly at this point about things like musical reviews. Obviously, book shows, um, we're not going to bastardize things to make them work for a small, for a small uh, ensemble, but we are looking at what are other ways, because people really do want entertainment and they are, they're, you know, they're Joneses sure, yeah. uh, or, or something, <laughs> you know, and, and we want to be able to present it if we can. So I don't have any predictions as far as when, you know, with, it, will it be possible in 2020? I am just trying to keep as many things open as possible and then just see where it lands. You know, there's, there's a great song in a show, we, a wonderful show we did called Falsettos that we've actually done twice. It's called Holding to the Ground While the Ground Keeps Shifting. <laughs> and that's, that's the experience right now. I mean, you're like, you're holding on for dear life. You're trying to figure out, you know, okay, what do I need to do today? And then, of course, you wake up the next morning and it's changed. That's the rules right. have changed, you know, whether it be PPP loans or, or whether it be, you know, what it means in various stages of, uh, of you know, bringing the economy back. We just don't know. Um, so I just want to be as prepared as possible for every scenario, and then we'll plug in whatever happens. Yes, if you have all of these different possibilities, all of the potentials lined up to say, well, maybe this, or maybe this, or maybe this. And what's interesting, I think, is that whoever takes the first step, whoever puts on the first live performance, everybody else is going to be looking to see how that goes and to see what they did successfully and what what didn't work, how they managed the restroom situation, how they managed, you know, social distancing, or even if social distancing still is a requirement at that point. But everybody's going to want to see, and I, and I assume, want to be in on the collaboration behind this to say, okay, Randy, what, what worked for you? Okay, well, Lorraine, what worked for you? What didn't work? This is where the collaboration is going to be so critical because we cannot invent this wheel alone. And I've spoken to some people who are, are talking to people all over the world, oh, yeah. you know, on, on Zoom calls and so on, which is another, I believe, positive that's come out of all of this is that people are talking to each other all over the world to, to try to figure out how to solve this problem in the short run and, and in the long run. So at this point, you will be doing more online things or trying to maintain an online presence. Uh, trying to make, maintain an income flow of some small degree that way for donations as well as, as ticket sales. And as I said, I think Musical Fair is uniquely positioned to be able to take advantage because of your fair, because of what you offer. People will be desperate for entertainment. Right. <laughs> you sure about that? And we are too. Yeah, yeah well, absolutely, yes. <laughs> Any final words you want to say, words of hope, words of encouragement, if people want to help out? Musical Fair, is, is your website a .com, a .org? What is it? It's a .com. It's just musicalfair.com. Any other places that people can look or that you'd like them to keep an eye out for or upcoming things you want to plug that, that before we say goodbye here? <laughs> No, I mean, we're going to, like I said, we're going to be doing these virtual cabarets um, the third or fourth Thursday of every month. 
and we'll get the word out to people about those when we, when we announce them. And, uh, you know, all I guess I would say is we will not stop trying to figure out how to make all of this work. And, and, we, and we will only do that in a safe way. I mean, we're, I'm not the least bit interested in doing anything that's going to put anybody at risk. Sure. This, this is not going to be about cutting corners. No. This is not going to be about taking shortcuts. Because, as I said, the first theater that does this, you better not mess it up. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Well, Peter, thanks for, for doing this. I mean, I, I think this is a, you know, you and Road Less Traveled, I mean, this is a great idea and it's a great way to get conversation. Well, we're trying to we're trying to get more people involved in the podcast because, you know, my old format, and frankly, you were on my list of people to talk to in a long form interview because I think your story is an interesting one and, and could we could go for 40, 45 minutes <laughs> just talking about Randy Kramer, where he came from and, and so on. But these times seem to call for a, a different perspective. And I know people want to hear from all the theaters. So if I can get a couple of people in every, if I can get four theaters every month, by September, I'll get everybody down and everybody has a chance to get the word out as to what's happening with them and what's what their future is projected to be. So I appreciate your taking the time to, uh, to spend with me. My very best of luck to you, and I will see you at some point in some way. That's great. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Randy. Have a great day. You too. I don't know, phase 12, 13? How many phases do I get? Oh, never mind. So there you have it. Another great podcast. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. I know we're running a little longer than usual, but I think it's all worth listening to. And we will continue in a couple of weeks with more important announcements from important people, including, in a couple of weeks, the uh, the boss of all of this, who is from Road Less Traveled Productions, Mr. Scott Barron, will be here to announce what's going on with the Road Less Traveled season. So I look forward to that. Oh, and by the way, did you guess who our mystery guest was this week? Of course, a very distinctive voice, Ray Boucher. Thank you very much, Ray, for contributing. I know you don't listen because you don't believe in podcasts, but that's okay because podcasts don't believe in you, Ray. So let's see, what should our question be for next time? How about this one? What did you accomplish under quarantine that you never thought you'd get around to? Did you accomplish something because you had the time? If you've got a good answer to that question, please record it on your phone. Send me an audio message. Send it to rltpoffroad at gmail.com. And I hope I hear from you. Until next time, this is Pete Pomisano for RLTP's Off-Road. Thanks for listening and tell your friends. Tell your friends.